walk jam nitty gritty you're listening to the boy from the big bad city this is jam this is jam hot Borak dog earthlets my name is Connor, alongside my friend Fox, and this is the 216th episode of Space Spinner 2000 Oof. podcast, where two Americans try to make sense of the UK's own galaxy's greatest comic, 2000 AD, one month of progs at a time. Uh, this episode, we're covering 2000 AD for March 1990. Progs 668 to 671. This episode, we're inching ever closer to Necropolis as big changes come in dread. Zenith concludes, we'll check in on the War Machine and Zippy Couriers, and both Armored Gideon and the new Harlem Heroes begin. Oh, yeah. That did happen. That's right. Listen. Uh, anyway. <laughs> if you want to read along, let's find the comics we're covering today in Judge Dredd, the Complete Case Files 14, Judge Anderson, the Sci-Files 1, the War Machine, uh, Rogue Trooper, the War Machine, Zenith Phase 3, the Judge Red Magazine 357, and 2000 AD Extreme Editions 5 and 23. <laughs> so, <laughs> those are two very different numbers from each other. Yeah, I mean, it sort of uh, uh, jumps around for sure. I believe Bix Barton is in um, is in Extreme Edition five, and then twenty three is um, I don't know. I think it's the the, the new Harlem Heroes, as I recall. Okay. Either that or Robert Gideon, one of those two. <laughs> anyway, let's get things started, Fox. I'm tired of this old stuff. I want to get some new stuff, like a new judge on the streets Ooh. in the form of Thrill One Judge Dread. Oh man, so so dramatic this time around. Absolutely, a lot going on this time. Uh, script about John Wagner, art robots, John, Jeff uh, John Anderson, I should say, and Carlos Escara, letting robot Tom Frame. Oh, down 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 to Tommy Tommy Frame. Whoa. I'm, I'm sure I've done that one before. Feels new. I like it either way. <laughs> so Judge Dredd's just finished his final evaluation of rookie Judge Kraken, uh, who's also a Dredd's g- genetic clone, of course, we'll, we'll remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Dredd heads off as Kraken tells his mentor, Judge Odell, that Dredd's going to fail him. Ah, uh, damn. I mean... Yeah. Yeah. And at, at the uh, Council of Five, the bosses of Mega City One, it's clear that Dredd has indeed just done that. Um, it seems pretty, pretty really abruptly sc- too, right? Like without yeah, much without much information as to why. <laughs> yeah, no, he pretty much refuses to explain his reasoning, though he does say that he's skeptical that Kraken has broken from his Judd of programming. He's like, I'm not gonna, I don't gotta explain myself, but I will say that I don't believe a leopard can change its spots. Oh man, <laughs> what a slur! Yeah, oh, Judge Odell is not pleased. And uh, Chief Judge Silver goes along with Dredd's evaluation. But then, after that, Dredd resigns. Ugh, as we knew he would, I guess. I mean, it's on the cover of this, of this prog, at the very least. And he asks to t- – and, of course, the dead man stuff. Yeah, and he asks to take the long walk. Silver sort of nominally asks him to reconsider, but after that, <laughs> agrees. Truly nominally. He knows he, you know, he sort of does it to, like, just to ask him. But he knows that if Dredd's talking about it, he's made up his mind, you mm-hmm. know? Um, yeah, so he, and so after he does, he agrees and swears Odell to secrecy. 
We see Dredd cleaning out the paperwork from his office, mostly just sort of pulling it out and tossing it in the garbage. Uh, <laughs> or, yeah, and then just like some stuff just in the shredder. Yeah. We see him uh, shred that letter from William Wenders that started Ooh. a lot of this stuff, that a letter to Dredd. He calls up ISO Block 19 and frees 63 prisoners there. Citizens arrested from the Democratic March, including leader mm. Blondell Dupree. A freed Dupree embraces her partner as Dredd looks on from a distance. And he remembers her words from the end of that march that freedom, truth, and democracy live in the hearts of the people where you can't beat it out and one day we'll beat you. Oh, man. And she's looking real different coming out of <laughs> those isogubes. Yeah. Well, clearly she hasn't been able to uh, keep up her hair care regime while mm. in prison, you know. Uh, Dupree sees Dredd as she leaves jail, and later we see Silver presiding over Dredd's long walk. He'll, he, as his courtesy, he's being allowed to take his lawmaster with him, like his bike. Pretty rad. Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, all the other long walk takers we've seen, Judge Minty and, um, Judge, and, uh, and a former Chief Judge Magruder just walked off into the cursed earth and oh, get yeah. fancy bikes. Um, and the judges do that thing where they sort of hold their guns out and <laughs> shoot into the air and stuff. Yeah, it's cool. You know, they sort yeah. of, yeah, and so Dread uh, goes out into the cursed earth. As long as Mega City One survives, your name will be honored, which we also saw in as a flashback in The Dead Man. Mm. Um, in the present, Dread, as the dead man, stumps through the cursed earth. Kraken had been good, but he let the mask slip when he gloated over Dredd's failure at the end of the assessment. Like, your time's over, old man. And it's funny, in the original story, we saw that from the – we saw Kraken from the back when he said that. We saw the back of his helmet. But this time when we're shown it, we see his face and it's like curled up in this evil grin as he says it, you know? He's looking evil. Definitely. Yeah, it's now months later. Those hissing sisters have tried to kill Dredd, and surely the rest of the Dark Judges can't be far behind. What foul deeds are afoot in Mega City 1? Oh, man, can't wait to find out. But first... I mean, we're sort of on the way now. Yeah, this is, we're officially on the countdown to, this is countdown, we're we're officially on the road. This is countdown to Necropolis Part 5, because we're counting down. Uh, Carlos Escara takes over on art. He's going to be doing art on Judge Dredd until Prog six until Prog six ninety nine. God damn, awesome! There's a lot of Escara here in his quarters. Judge Kraken rests. He's been locked in without weapons. He puts his helmet on as Odell opens the door. We get a lot of Krakens in our monologue here. He's thinking how he must remain calm and comport himself well, even as things grow more and more ominous. God damn. Um, very, very Conrad-esque narrations here, just as things happen, and then just get a word about just like ominous like <laughs> stuff. <laughs> um Odell tells tells Kraken that Dredd re- um resigned and freed those Democrats and then leads Kraken to the office of Deputy Principal Volt, who we might see later in uh in as we covered 2000 AD who signs off on Kraken's failing evaluation. He's stripped of his rank and insignias and gear and is dismissed from the academy. Things get more ominous when Odell escorts Kraken, who's still got his helmet on, which I don't I don't like, actually. I think they yeah. should, you know, he's not a recruit. He shouldn't be wearing that helmet anymore, you know, but <laughs> Bloodline whatever. reasons, I guess. I mean, but like, 
This is something that's actually come up in modern times, but like Dread wears the helmet because that's just Dread being Dread. It's sort of an in joke. <laughs> they aren't like at like the Justice Department isn't actively trying to hide Dread's identity or anything it's like true. that by making him wear the helmet. It's not like he's magic and you can't see his face. It just sort of happens that way. <laughs> Got so it. When they you do, can't just give up your badge, your badge, your shoulder pads, and your knee pads, and not the helmet. You know. Oh yeah, keep the helmet, buddy. That's fine. <laughs> Whatever. Um, but yeah, he gets in a Justice Department van, and they're headed to Recyc. Kraken is to be executed by lethal injection. There, oh man. They bring it out on a little tray and everything. That's yeah, like, very, I like very... the little skull and crossbones they have on it too. That's that's uh... how you know it's a lethal injection. <laughs> you wouldn't know otherwise. Yeah. On the way there, Odell breaks down crying about it, but Kraken ends up actually laughing, just like, you know, if Being Dredd was weird. right about him. Well, it's like he kind of uh, um, notices the ridiculous of it, that if, if Dredd was right that he was unfit, he wouldn't be walking calmly to his death. But because he's sort of working in the system and stuff, he can't dispute Dredd's evaluation of him. So it's a catch-22 in terms of not getting executed here. <laughs> Guess I'm just gonna have to stick myself with this adorable needle. Yeah, in a tasteful um, funeral viewing room section of Recyc, <sighs> Kraken rolls up his sleeves and offers to administer his own lethal injection. He takes the fancy black skull needle, injects and pu- pushes the plunger, stops short of having some biting last words, and then dies like a judge. Damn. Guess that's the last time they'll be able to make the joke, what's cracking? <laughs> Release the judge. Countdown to Necropolis Part 4. Judges declare Kraken dead. His coffin is taken by Odell to the tax to do some experiments on. There's <laughs> Yes, you do. Yeah, we got some reflection on the nature of bloodline, how Fargo, Dread, Rico, and Kraken all had such different outcomes in their lives. And the hover van rolls off. Odell takes Kraken's body, and as the sun rises, Kraken's vision returns, and he's alive! It was all a ruse! Oh my god, what a fucking insane ruse. I will say, in both this and the previous story, uh, Escara does some blurring effects that look like Kraken sort of waking up, yeah. or coming to, or something that's very cool and sort of blur these very sharp lines he normally uses that, that I think's really neat. Very watercolor. Yeah. Kraken dresses and is taken to Chief Judge Silver's private office. It seemed this whole thing was a test, a final one to really see if Kraken was loyal to the city or still just a hidden Judda, and he's passed. Hey, I guess uh, all's well that ends well for you, dude. Kinda, yeah. Kraken will become a full judge, and Silver gives him his badge. The badge of dread. <gasps> what? Countdown Necropolis Part 3. Oh, man. This one's called Rights of Succession. Kraken, as Judge Dredd, rolls down the streets of Mega City 1, responding to calls, beating up citizens, doing arresting and sentences. We see him arresting both a mother-daughter pair of muggers and the mugging victims. They both curse him and are like, oh, why'd we have to get Dredd of all the judges in the city? I mean, seems to be keeping up that same appearance. Definitely, this is sort of classic Judge Dredd moves of arresting both perpetrators and victims, mm-hmm. for sure. Items roll in from all over the city as Dredd arrests a citizen for, for littering. He feels like he's part of the city. 
And Kraken then flashes back to Judge to Chief Silver explaining that uh, Kraken is part of Dredd's bloodline and Dredd is a symbol of the city. There must be a Judge Dredd and now Kraken is it. Damn. Everyone's sworn to secrecy. He'll be moved away from people who sort of have, have worked with Dredd regularly for a time just to kind of let him get, get back, get, get into character basically. Uh, Kraken does feel one with the city and enjoys his progenitors like earned authority and street cred. A side judge at Justice Central asks Silver if the, if he's making the right decision, but the size don't see anything coming in the near future to justify worrying those idiots. Oh, so, man, come on. Silver decides the bloodline will continue. Next time on Judge Dredd, love it to death. I really feel like this is not going to end super well for a lot of people. We 100% know it doesn't, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Never trusted Jetta. I mean, as far as we know, one way or another, it ends with those evil lady dark judges uh, burning up Judge Dredd to a crisp and putting out Yasa's eyes. So yeah. one way or another, it can't be super good. You watching, know? watching some really terrified children faces. That's, that's, what that, that's what Ridgeway's the best at. I think we all know that. <laughs> it's a classic look. Absolutely. Hey, and speaking of, uh, of uh, classic adventures, Fox. Ooh. Thrill 2, Bix, Barton. Man, really after reading this, I wanted some soup so bad. <laughs> Script robot Peter Milligan, art robot Jim McCarthy, letter robot Tom Frame. Bix Barton, master of the Roman uncanny, is being lowered into a vat of toxic waste by the evil Steve Ditto, the astral projecting man. It seems that Ditto found a microscopic hole in the dimensional wall. Pretty and has been Yeah, and he's been dumping toxic waste into it at a profit ever since, as you do, <laughs> taking just advantage. Dimension. Yeah, just taking advantage of the TARDIS effect. You know how it goes. Yeah, take that, Captain Planet. Seriously. I... I I'm actually pretty sure there is a Doctor Who plot. Uh, no, sorry, several Doctor Who plots like this, for the record. Actually, that, um, do you think that Captain Planet gives a crap about other dimensions, or is it just Earth? Just Earth. So I feel like this would be, you know... No, he's down with this. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Because, like, <laughs> you know, Captain Planet's incarnated from Gaia, who is the goddess of Earth, but presumably other planets... And planets on other dimensions have their own weird goddesses. Yeah, you, you know, know? got That's not a you problem at that point, blue-skinned bastard. I mean, you know, like they they want people to do things responsibly. I'm sure Captain Planet would also be down with like launching all the trash into space or something. You know, <laughs> that's fair. Like his big worry would be the pollution of the rocket launch, which is why we uh, got to build that space elevator. I keep talking about, buddy. Day man, sweet ass space elevator. I'm down. Huge fan of space elevators, Fox. Mm -hmm. I love them so much. Um, anyway, you put a big thing up there, then you build downwards. It's nice. Um, so anyway, um, it does. This toxic waste does occasionally leak back out of the alternate reality as goop that turns you into an ugly monster. But that's cool with Ditto because he's going to use it to turn all the men of the world into ugly dudes, which will overall then raise his net attractiveness and make him real popular with the ladies because everyone else is a real uggo. Such a weird plot for this thing to turn. I think you'll agree. With, you'll find that Michael Caine believes that it's a bloody brilliant idea. So full, totally foolproof. 
Um, all seems lost when Barton's would-be suitor, the poacher, appears. Yeah! Hooray, poacher! Save your wife! Yeah. He springs into... Fiance, please. He springs into action and frees Bix, then scuffles with Ditto, and eventually gets tossed into that toxic vat. Cheesy Pete's, buddy. Not good for, uh, not good for the poacher. It's bad. Steve Ditto disappears into some sort of, some sort of portable hole thing, and, oh, well, you know, whatever. Um, and then the poacher himself climbs out of the vat, the spitting image of Paul Daniels, British TV magician and presenter. Oh, no. Is that bad? I don't know. Is that good? I don't know. Uh, it apparently is bad because Pix Barton just sort of pulls out his, <laughs> his uh, sci-fi gun and shoots him right in the face. Jeez, man. Rough. <laughs> like it's a mercy killing, essentially. <laughs> Ooh. Anyway, job well done. Back at the Department of the Irrational, we're wrapping up. The government will take control of the waste disposal operation and continue using it as such. They've been selling shares to it right quite soon to make some money. Um, meanwhile, Ditto is out there causing mayhem, so Bix's job is secure with extra funding. Funding to stop Steve Ditto. Hey, sweet. Time for a bath. Yep. First, got to take that that. Magic sci-fi bath. Uncanny. Not bad. Yeah. He's going to be under for a few days, so call back then. Pip, pip, cheerio. (laughs) Um, It's all been wrapped up. Even that ugly guy, Dan, has a new job as a scarecrow. All right. Real fucked up for that guy. (laughs) 100%. And uh, Bix Barton will return in early 1991. Not bad. Uh, definitely real funny wrap up to this uh, that I enjoyed. The plot was hor- like just like the oh man, gonna make everyone ugly <laughs> as his as his plan feels very in theme with this character. Yeah, I mean it's very much sort of bouncing from one ridiculous thing to the next, and so I think that sort of having it end ridiculously was equally good. You know, mm. sort of like all right, like we sort of reached the end here, we're fine. Let's move on to something else. You know? Yeah, exactly. Again, a, a thing that I really appreciate about this comic is that it does not stay in one place for very long. <laughs> yeah, and I think at the very at this point, at least, it's very much avoiding the thing that I think we hate the most in humor strips, which is sort of overstaying their welcome. Yeah, basically. exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, all right. And uh, speaking of not overstaying their welcome and wanting to get out of here, Fox. <laughs> I've got to break free. Let's talk about Thrill 3 Rogue Trooper. I guess, uh, I guess, uh, uh, what was the other song? Fuck, now I can't remember another Queen song. You know, there's there's tons that I could probably say here, but, you know, yeah. I've got the worst words right now. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, this whole story is about Friday trying to get to a rocket ship shooting through the sky. There we go. 100 miles an hour. There's no stopping him. It's beautiful. Burn it through the sky, yeah. 100 degrees, that's why they call me Mr. Mr. Friday. <laughs> <laughs> Script about Dave Gibbons, art about Will Simpson, learning about Bambos Georgiou. And we're continuing the War Machine story. Um, like last time, this one starts with a credit page. This time it's a drawing of some most of uh, like mostly covered technical data about the GI Command helmets. Mm-hmm. Just to recap, Friday is the last surviving genetic infantryman, and he's uh, just heard the call from High Command, a.k.a. High Side, recalling all combat forces. But it isn't going to him. It's only going to officers and the enemy. Real weird. 
Yeah, GI was basically, it's clear, was sent to just die and be abandoned. And Friday, not very happy about it. Nah. He's going to get back. Yeah, he's going to get back at high side, get revenge for him and his brothers or die trying, buddy. Feels uh, feels like a revengeance plot. I'm into that. Definitely. Very interested in revenge, Fox. That's my that's key thing about me. Also, a real um, strange butt shot from him. Just like a real up close on his on his keister there. Listen, you know, just because we're talking about revenge doesn't mean we can't have fun as well, Fox. You know, that's <laughs> how it goes. Beautiful. He packs up and leaves, headed to the distant shuttle facility 400 miles away, only a few days to go. He's making his way on foot, hiding in craters and dodging hover tanks and other troops. He sees more fighting as he goes, troops in gas masks, as well as some actually just helping each other across enemy lines trying to survive in this place. Which really doesn't look like it's working out super well. Not a long-term plan. Pretty much everybody here is trapped and doomed, and they basically know it. Friday continues making his way. He overhears two troopers talk about how only officers can get off world. He goes through alien swamps, fighting alien swamp monsters, including a big T-Rex. Man, swamp monster, alien T-Rex, real cool play. Absolutely. He reflects on his own nature and keeps up his new mantra, which is that I'm coming in, I said. His new Earth mantra. Hmm. Mm, maybe. <laughs> Got it. Part seven opens with a similar sketch, w- w- with another technical sketch, like the helmet of High Side of a uh, Friday's new of uh, Friday's rifle. Friday's still going. He's got 150 miles to go. He skirts the supply base and tries to avoid humans. When he hears a voice cry out, Oof. it's a woman being ganged up on by three dudes, which is not cool. Fox. Not cool, man. We all know this. And even though he's been avoiding all these people, man, he's uh, not one to abide rape, which I think is a pretty good guy move there. Definitely. She bites off one of their ears. Awesome. But things are looking real bad. And I will say that this is very, um, like, sort of 80s, like, canon kind of thing, I guess, mm. where, like, it's where you where the only way we, we can really show that a woman is, like, uh, in need of help or something is to threaten her with sexual violence, which is, like, you know... Not great, again. But anyway. <laughs> Reference uh, any VHS tape at this point. Indeed. Um, Friday shows up and kills the men. The woman draws her rifle, but Friday doesn't want to fight her, even though she's a norther, I guess, and named Gaia. Mm. Um, like him, she was abandoned by her officers and is sort of at a loss. She's heading west where there's rumors of an island untouched by war. And Friday tells her his story. And when she does, she offers to stand watch while he rests and he just kind of passes out, even though GIs technically don't need sleep. Oof. As he's as he sleeps, Friday remembers the genetic the, the genetic text like uncorking him oh, and he wakes up fighting and just choking Gaia, sort of just sort of in his sleep, basically. Fuck. Not great. No. She apologize or he apologizes and she hands him his helmet. And there's a message coming through. It's the last call for officers. 12 hours to get to the shuttle if you want to get off world. So Fred has got 12 hours to go and 150 miles to get there. Not enough time. No. He is actually technically heading eastbound and down, though. So that is kind of oh. – that, 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 that's pretty good. <laughs> wow, buddy. <laughs> oh, there's there's beer in G.I. Tana. They're thirsty in Hasida. Wow. Anyway, um, – that's terrible. That's not no good. I don't. No good. <laughs> D 
deeply apologize. So this next section opens with the GI battle dress, complete with lapel grenades and a boot knife. I see that boot knife. That's pretty. Um, that's a uh, fucking nice, nice boot knife. Yeah. Friday laments his lost time and his failure when Gaia offers the keys to her car. She's got an armored scout vehicle hidden nearby. Also she love had- that she has a keychain for the keys. Definitely. She's got um she explains to Friday how to drive it and like while she's leaning over him, something kind of stirs within him, but like oh. let's move on here. Um uh, he's ready to go and she says to give him hell. Hell yeah. He, Thanks, Gaia. Yeah, he, go steal another car. Definitely. Friday blasts along the last few miles but gets blown up within a few miles and hours to go. God. Got one mile, one hour to go. The longest mile, the shortest hour, I like the wordplay here. Mm-hmm. He goes through razor wire, mines, and guards, making his way to high side. The final guards have almost locked up the place when Friday arrives, his face covered. They twig to him, and he just starts fighting, taking out some of these, the skeleton guard crews around the facility. And then things get very frenetic and action-packed as Friday fights his way into the base, taking out vehicles, and the place becomes engulfed in flames and explosions. Man, do you think that, like, the guards also get to go off-world as soon as everything's closed up? Or do you think they'll likely get left left behind? <laughs> I think they are definitely tell them that they're going to be on, yeah. the last, uh, on the last ship out. I'm definitely feeling the same there, bud. But whether they actually do, I guess we never find out because of the explosions. Um, The final section this time uh, starts with a map of Friday's route. Yeah, is this uh, Italy? What is this? To me, it looks like um, it looks like uh, the uh, the southeastern United States. Oh yeah, kind of Florida. Friday starting in Georgia and ending up in Cape Canaveral in Florida. Look at you. Where they do like spaceship launches and mm. stuff. That explains um, the swamp, I suppose. Yeah, well, there's a swamp section of the map, but yeah, the, the, the panhandle has been engulfed by swamp and in the comic. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's wow. alarms going off all over the place and the shuttle fa- um, in the shuttle facility as the ship prepares to take off quickly to avoid the fire spreading all over the base. They... Head to they uh they manage to um take off and make their way to high side, leaving the chaotic planet behind them. And Friday hides in the shupa structure of the ship, <laughs> which I guess is uh, just fine to just be in there for him. I mean, I think he's sort of you know he's got deals that let him survive in vacuum to a limited extent. He's got and- uh, he's got the Hulk genes at this point. Yeah, and as we mentioned, like, as they take off, it's pretty clear the planet they're leaving at least has the continents of, like, North and South America as yeah. they leave it behind. Um, Friday rests and sort of starts to – and starts his rapid healing processes as they head to the high side base on the moon. Um, there's only one war worth winning, and he's coming in, single-minded and uniquely motivated. He manages to find an air hose and breathes artificial air deeply. It's like coming home. And this is the end for Friday now, Fox. He'll be back as part of a mini jumping on Prague in June of this year. What? 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 I mean, I got to say, like, this is, you know, this is sort of, I feel like they complain, like the the creators complained about this. And I pretty much agree um, that... Putting like this was supposed to be, I think, just like a big thirteen issue, like like rollout, basically, like one yeah. thing of increasingly um, increasing tension and stuff. Yeah, and 
But instead, I think these cuts, like with the Beyond Zero, actually, mm. really just like murder the momentum of this story. Man, you know? I strongly agree because it's it's a very, very good Rogue Trooper story of which I am enjoying greatly. And you can see it like, I mean, even just the ones we talk about, we can feel the momentum shifting and at, but but growing. And I really think if we'd gone from the ones in uh, 650 to these ones to the end – that would have really been a really amazing story. God, um, yeah, I strongly agree. I think it was already at the time. I forget, like I, I forget honestly off the top of my head if this was just sort of by editorial fiat or if Simpson was having trouble meeting deadlines. And that's why they kind of cut it up here. Hmm. But either way, I wish they hadn't. Like just because this story works so well as um, in this continue, it would work so well in a continuous format that it really cuts the legs out of it otherwise. Yeah, I strongly agree. And fucking Will Simpson's art is so fucking beautiful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All this, uh, all these like, uh, like a watercolor or like, like, like painted images and stuff are really yeah, fun. It's so beautiful and fucking so gory. Yeah, because it gets really muddled, it does – it just creates this this idea of violence that makes you feel present in it because it's sort of hard – it's hard to grasp what's specifically going on, which makes it feel very chaotic and action-packed. Yeah, exactly. Oh, it's so beautiful. Man, it's such a shame that we got to wait till June. Absolutely. Yeah, but speaking of the wait being over, Fox. Oh, man. It is time to reach our zenith. <laughs> Thrill for zenith. Point Zenith, here we come. Point Zenith or bust. That's right. Script robot Grant Morrison, art robot Steve Yole, letter robot Gordon Kid Robson. Showdown time at last. The evil and insane Maxi Man stands opposite Mandala. Maxi is preparing to ascend to Point Zenith and join with the Godhead or whatever. (laughs) But according to Mandala, he's just been stopped. Oh, yeah, baby. Yeah, a massive explosion rips through the pedestal Maxi was using to ascend to and tears him through the spires of Axis Mundi and blasts Maxi into a whole different area. Fuck yeah. Mandala gives chase. He's all supered up. He's quoting Robert Browning's poem Epilogue because this is the end as he goes. Fuck yes. The poem's called Epilogue, but it's the end as he goes. Um, Maxi Man's heads explodes with the powerful two. But he's still alive and starts fighting back. God. Leading from beyond his eye, from behind his eye wraps, he seems to grab Mandala mentally, begins to take him apart, atom by atom, cell by cell. Not a super great way to go, I imagine. Nah, listen, like I want to be, I guess I don't want to be taken apart, but I guess I'd prefer larger chunks if possible. <laughs> yeah. Um... It's looking really bad as the alignment comes and he prepares to ascend. But then, plink, all the rest of the heroes are here to lend a hand. Hey, what up? It's Acid Archie and the boys and ladies. Yeah. Uh, and I got to say, shout out and condolences to those unfortunate souls among us, including a friend of the show, Jake Ebling, whose copy of the complete Zenith finishes phase three with this final image of this prog. Oh, really? Instead of the actual end of the story. Yeah. What? Yeah. Bad printing. It just misses two progs, you know? Damn. It's very like, oh, it just sort of like ends on a cliffhanger. That's weird. It's like, <laughs> no, man. There's, <laughs> There's more. Stuff. Yeah. So 
Maxi Man walks towards this big pillar of energy as Mandala begs the supers to stop him, and they happily apply, um, oblige. Ruby tries to blast him, but instead Maxi just, you know, ignores this and is floating naked in the energy of the uh, Godhead. Mandala explains that even if Alternative 230 wasn't destroyed, Maxi Man can still ascend. It's just going to be through sheer force of will, except for the ease of, um, whatever, more explode dimensions or whatever. <laughs> So he didn't need uh, to blow up all of them, (laughs) I guess. Yeah, it's easier if you blow them all up, but he could still do it without that last planet being destroyed. He seems to be doing it. He can feel the Loigor beyond the skin of reality, and we see some strange faces appear on the sky as the alignment arrives. A billion worlds in one place. We arise to Godhead. Two point Zenith. Oof. No one's p- uh, powers are working, but Zenith seems to have an idea. Let's use that reality bomb that was going <laughs> to blow up Alternative 230. I got it right here. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, you know, it's not, it's probably going to go off soon. I mean, you might as well press the button, whatever. Everyone agrees, and that the team starts to escape via Einstein-Rosen bridge. But as they do, the bridge deteriorates, and Zenith is left. He's setting up the bomb, but he took too long. Oh, oh no, man. make your time. Because he set us up the bomb. Oh, my God. <laughs> right. You know, I know. All your, all your base who belong to us, Fox. I mean... You know, I, I, that's the first meme, Fox. It is the first (laughs) meme. I'm sorry. I didn't get it immediately. Things old enough to shave. Uh, (laughs) Anyway, the gateway disappears and Zenith's left alone with, um, with Maxi Man going crazy and ascending and stuff like that. Bloody freaking typical, Fox. Bloody typical. (laughs) Sorry. The, the Einstein Rosen bridge sleashes out of existence (laughs) for the record. He reflects on Maxi Man, picks up the bomb, just kind of looks at the camera. He's like, bye. And then triggers it. Explosion! Everything becomes nothing. And probably, uh, you know, no more Godhead or whatever. Yeah, I mean, it destroyed the reality. He probably killed Maxi Man in the process. Why not? Yay! Alternative 230, March 16, 1989. Blue Wizard is working on a memorial for the dead, including his friend Tanya, Hmm. as his teammate Oakman comes to talk to him about it. Yeah. Back, yeah, back in the, it's a bummer. And back in the base, they're organizing the return of various superheroes to their home dimensions. There's some nice moments where, like, they sort of, some teams offer folks who have destroyed realities, like, come hang out with us. Yeah, <laughs> like, I mean, you, know. you, can now, you can always use more super dudes. Yeah, and you don't want to stay here. This reality is terrible. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't stay in this Arctic base. Seems pretty no. shit. Absolutely. Everyone reflects like, oh, man, that was crazy how Zenith sacrificed himself, right? I didn't see that coming. And Zenith shows up. He's like, yeah, no, I wouldn't. That's stupid. (laughs) Sacrifice myself. It's the worst guy. (laughs) Why would I do that? That's dumb. (laughs) He's just drinking a cola and just like sassing people for thinking he'd do something stupid. Zenith didn't even go to Alternative 23. He's been hanging out here the whole time, oh, drinking soda and watching TV. Must have been Vertex who sacrificed himself. Oh, man. Well, <laughs> He's the worst. He's the worst superhero. Pretty good moment where uh, Black Archer is just like, I hope you're going to change the mo- the monument. Jesus <laughs> Christ. Just make sure it doesn't fucking have his name on it. Yeah. Hero or not, though, uh, this lady Meta Maid who's been flirting with Zenith the whole time um, offers a little personal celebration in the boiler room, if you know what I mean. 
a a boiler room, eh? You know, wink, wink. It's a little dark in but, there. Mm, before they can, another hero warns him that Meta made, she's a man, baby. Yeah, and you know, she's gone through the treatment and everything, but you know, she's she's pre-op. Yeah, Which... woman with the penis, as we might say in more enlightened times. <laughs> but Xanathan isn't into that kind of stuff, so instead he's got TNT Tom going his place just to engage in various transphobic shenanigans, I suppose. Really, oh. really fucking, just really painting Zenith continually as just the best guy. And man, this comic's about him, I guess. Mm. Lux talks to a bunch of heroes heading out. He's has to be like, all right, like, listen, I had some rough times. But I think things turned out pretty good, right? In the end. I mean, you know, it worked out in the end. Everyone's like, what the those, fuck are you talking about? Are, like, like every, like, you know, dozens of people died. Several realities were destroyed. Like, this is a loss. This sucks. Yeah, man. Do <laughs> not call us. The universe is in peril. Handle it yourself, asshole. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and they warp away. We see Mandala looking out onto the snow, and Zenith wonders, what next? I mean, they saved the universe and stuff. Where do they go from here? Mandala wonders, too. Like, what now, indeed? Hmm. And it seems that Acid Archie has joined our team. Yeah. And Zenith ends the tale by saying that that monument looks a little crooked, or a skew-if, as they say in England. Oh, my God. He's just, he needs to fucking shut his mouth. <laughs> Definitely. Zenith will return in the summer of 1992. Man, oh man. Every other character <clears throat> was so much more interesting than Zenith, and that is, I love it. I love it. I love what they did. I love the things they did. I love Zenith. Zenith continues to be good. I love Zenith. I mean, just the general decision that Zenith would be an unapologetic asshole in this story <laughs> is a very bold one that I enjoy. Yeah really builds the character to make you not like him. <sighs> Definitely. But I want to say beyond that, Fox, something that I thought was really interesting in Zenith Phase 3, all right, mm -hmm. I want to get into this, all right, is we talked a little bit about the start about how this is kind of a send-up by Grant Morrison of these big events in comic books where you have these big crossover things, you right. know, your Crisis on Infinite Earths or Infinity Gauntlets or things like that. You know, these big events that are very popular at the time in, um, in, in, in especially American superhero comics, you know. Yeah, exactly. Now, this story is a, is a, is a comment on that, especially by having all these characters that are based on characters from other comic book companies mm -hmm. and things like that. But so the like the big joke of Zenith Phase Three is that Zenith does very little in the course of it, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, which is sort of the running joke of Zenith, of course. I mean, he sort of threw a punch in the first story, <laughs> and then just kind of had a conversation in the second story, basically. Like you know, he's sort of a slacker hero in general. But for me, I think there's a second layer of just that. Like, okay, so let me uh, step back for a second. All right. Mm -hmm. You know, I used to do the, or I still do, but we haven't had an, had an episode in, a, in, in, in about a year and a half now, sadly, uh, this Doctor Strange podcast, Stranger by the Dozen. Yeah. And in 1980, Doctor Strange was involved in this Marvel thing called a Contest of Champions, which was like a three-part, like, all the superheroes have been gathered by a mysterious force to basically all fight each other and things like that. Mm-hmm. And Doctor Strange is in that, but he doesn't really do anything in it, like... The biggest part he has is just sort of being as part of a joke where all these superheroes with the word doctor in their name are in one panel, basically. <laughs> okay. But 
that's something that happens when you have these big comic events. Uh, like if you're if you're a fan of a of a of a minor character, oh, right? Yeah. I mean, obviously, obviously, if you like like Batman or Wolverine or Superman or Spider Man or something. You know, they're probably going to do a lot in these stories because obviously they're the biggest names. Mm-hmm. But if you like kind of a minor dude, like a Doctor Strange maybe, or, you know, you're into Swamp Thing, right? And like Swamp Thing gets one panel in Crisis on Infinite Earths. Right. You know? And so that feels very much like what Zenith is in this story. You know, once Zenith sort of joins – they sort of are entree to seeing what's going on with these stories. After that, he's very much just sort of sort, sort of meet in the room while other heroes hand do most of the heavy lifting, you know? <laughs> right. Well, I mean, even in um, – God, what the hell was it called? Um, with Marvel and their whole uh, um, Iron Man oh, the- versus everybody, right? The Civil War. Like yeah. characters like Moon Knight. Moon Knight had like two comics – like that yeah. where where he was even like roughly a part of it because like, I had read them chronologically for the Civil War thing once. And I just remember like once in a while you just go to an offshoot comic and you're like, yeah, this is kind of neat. And then it just never shows up again or they're briefly yeah, somewhere like, in the background. Yeah, like like a lot of times characters will be involved like, yeah, in their own comics that are related to the big thing. Mm-hmm. But if you're just reading the big thing, it's easy to, you know, to miss a lot of minor characters and stuff. Exactly. That, very feels that very much feels like Zenith's role in this the Hollow Land story of Zenith Phase Except Three. That you he's know, he's the main character, and they put him in the back. Well, because we don't have access to these other characters' comics, you know. Yeah. In theory, like in theory, if you're reading like Lux or Mandala or something <laughs> like that, if you're reading those stories, then it's much better. And again, Zenith is just sort of in the background, making like snide, making comic relief comments and stuff, as opposed to being a central figure in the action. Yeah, Lux Mandela crossover comic would be pretty rad. I mean, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd read it a little bit at least, I think. But yeah, <laughs> but I don't know. I just wanted to talk about that a little bit just because that's such a uh, – like so much of the of, of Zenith in general, but especially um, the, um, this, this story feels like uh, Morrison commenting on modern comics through yeah. the medium of doing stuff with old comics. You know, I mean, at this point – Morrison's definitely made his bones in American comics. He's done Animal Man. He's done Arkham Asylum and stuff like that. Like he's sort of a a rising name over there as well. So he's going to be like, listen, man, like I don't care about nothing. All these comics are dumb. I hate them. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use the medium that I work in to say how much I don't like a thing. Meanwhile, I mean, continue to smart. buy my comics, please. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, still, I think it was pretty – it's pretty smart, pretty snappy if I do say so no, myself. I, yeah, I like this a lot. Uh, definitely, like, the way we've been reading it this time, I think, with, like, being aware that there's some meta-commentary in here and mm. also just generally, like, being able to get the references to the different characters and stuff, I think, has definitely improved my uh, my appreciation of it. Like, I think – the first time through, I might have just got like been weirded out by it, or like not understood what was going on Who's as well. Who's this Chester tapped out a little bit. Yeah, like what? Like there's all these superheroes, but like why are we? <laughs> why is this happening? Like what's going on? But it's definitely one that I've appreciated um, as this second time through for sure. Yeah. 
That's rad, man. I, yeah. I'm fucking, if there's one thing that uh, Zenith continually delivers on, it's like very much subversion of what I expect. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's sort of, I mean, it, while I think it is, does end up being a little bit like, you know, it, it's still too cool for school always. Oh, yeah. But I think within that, like, sort of, um, um, a, like stance of coolness there is some good commentary and like jokes about or uh, uh views about like like how comic books work and and strongly and agree things about superheroes that, that 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 are mixed in there excellent yeah so anyway man zenith that thing's been with us for like the last 50 prog sort of on and off yeah, dude, crazy it's been fantastic will it return yeah. Yeah, like I said, yeah, we'll be we'll get Zenith again. Uh, Zenith Phase Four will be back in uh, in uh, 1992, and um, okay. I think that'll be the last Zenith. But that's another big story in there. Last one? What? I think there's been some more. Actually, no, I think there's been some slightly more recent things, but not like a big like full phase of oh, Zenith. Oh man, which is a bummer because I'd love to see. Um, I mean, as I said in the winter special, I'd love to see like a a modern Zenith. Fuck yeah! Like, like the idea of Zenith being a um having a having a career arc of like uh of like Caitlyn Jenner or a Chris Jenner actually even just being the mo- the uh, the pe- the star parent yeah. of like a reality show family or something like that. Fuck yes, <laughs> like that feels on brand for <laughs> um for Zenith. Like I think I think Zenith like a uh, a Kardashian Zenith type story. Like I feel like oh there my God. is there's gold in those hills, Fox. That's what Zo- I'm trying to say. with the Zeniths. Something. Oh man, yeah. Listen, let's do it. You and me. <laughs> or whatever, I don't know. I feel like I'd have to know a little bit more about British um the British equivalents of those shows <laughs> That's to make fair. the full jokes. But there's definitely something there. Anyway, for us. Oh man. Um in let's uh go with a with a fun story like that conclude. Let's go to the thing that's perhaps less fun. Oh yeah. With non-thrills, covers, and nerve centers. Prog six sixty-eight. I quit. Oof. Dreads turned his badge and with a dangerously unzipped uniform I know. covered by Jeff just, Anderson. Just ripping that dread right off. Oh yeah. In the nerve center, it seems that uh, the dead man reveal letters have started coming in, and Dark continues to tease the coming run up to Necropolis. There's a picture of Slain standing on Uko, a true balancing act, <laughs> and letters generally being stoked about about dead man being dread and all that stuff. Hell yeah. As well as the return of Bradley and just the relaunch in general. Mid-prog, there's an ad for Bogeyman by Warner, Grant, and Robin Smith. But a mental patient who thinks he's Humphrey Bogart. Okay. Or the characters that Bogart has portrayed in film. <laughs> and an ad announcing the countdown to Necropolis six weeks to go. Yeah. There's also ads for the upcoming Harlem Heroes and Armored Gideon, about which more later this episode. And there's an ad for Crisis Number 39, which is being released in conjunction with Amnesty International. Cool. Yeah, and finally, the prog ends with a 2000 AD spark plug. Literally, a plug for 2000 AD. <laughs> you know, just for all that uh, thrill power overloading your car. Absolutely. Prog 669, execution of duty. <laughs> duty. <laughs> yeah, crack and prepare. <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> crack and prepares to make the ultimate self-sacrifice in a Carlos Escara cover. In the nerve center... Tharg announces the countdown to Necropolis. This is the time. There's 
pictures of a boxed up Judge Paranoid and a Bradley-esque <laughs> weird sprog fag. Weird. Weird. Yeah. There's a letter about this band Halo James. Okay. Um, the fact that there's a lack of medium-sized slain shirts and compliments for the end of Chopper and more sadness about Dread. The prog ends with a weird painting of a demonic Johnny Alpha by David Hine. Yeah. And I'll say to this what I said about Simon Harrison's introduction to Drawn Team Dog. <laughs> no thanks. Yeah, the, the sharp teeth are a little <laughs> bit of a put off. <laughs> it's quite a bit, you know. Uh, prog 670, it's a somber mood at the hero's wake in this Zenith cover by Steve Yole. Strangely, no Zenith appearing on this cover. Well, because he's, you know, at this point, the pre- mm-hmm. he died, he seemed to die in the previous one. Yeah. So this one is like, whoa, Zenith died. We're real sad about it. Oh, my and G. Then you get to the comic and it's like, no, it was Vertex. Fuck Vertex. <laughs> <laughs> the nice one is a dick. <laughs> no one cares. You're dead, Vertex. You're the, you're the Frank Grimes of... <laughs> The Zenith world. Wow. People laughing about a Zenith joke at your funeral. Oh, no. Oh. <laughs> um, in the nerve center, Tharg announces the end of Zenith and the start of the Screaming Skull story and preps us for some more new arrivals. There's pictures of a pinheaded Hellraiser Sprog and <laughs> a uh, and a the dead Tharg. It literally dead Tharg. the the only uh, box that I would just try to make sure no one ever solves ever. <laughs> Dep- like, listen, all of the like, it's definitely Alan McKenzie who writes uh, Brad leans real into the character who's picking all these fan arts and stuff. Mm-hmm. But this is why I assumed everybody loves Bradley, like because so many Bradley fan, so much Bradley fan art gets posted in here. Like it just yeah. must be the big one, you know. And while de- definitely there are people who do like Bradley, and like I would not begrudge you that. No, um, no, no, no. This is a taste thing. It's not as br- he's not as broadly beloved as I as I believed he was. Is what mm. I'm trying to say. Letters compliment letters compliment Tharg and talk about the horror of the bloodiness of Chopper, which which we talked about as well. Oh yeah. Um, someone ta- has a trend piece. It says apparently judges will be on the streets of England by the year 2000 AD. Mm. And a reader brings up the fine point, actually, that um, slain going along with tradition and chopping a dude's head off for being late to the muster seems very against slain's general, like, horn god ethos of, like, being young and being, like, uh, hanging out, being cool (laughs) and not giving in to ancient traditions. Like, you know, you got this tradition where you kill somebody who's late. That doesn't seem very god of laughter, just chilling out kind of stuff. Yeah, man. That's not maxing, relaxing, acting all cool. Yeah. You know, that's no way to be be shooting some b-ball outside of the school (laughs) when – a couple of droons who were up to no good started making trouble in your neighborhood. <laughs> Gotta get that navel back. Got in one little fight. My earth goddess got scared. <laughs> Moving with your auntie and uncle on the coast of Ireland because your <laughs> land got fluttered. <laughs> wow. But but seriously, I will say this is a good point and actually will be addressed in the Horn God Part 3. <laughs> oh, um, rad. Yeah. Also, and they're really making a big deal about this. Please, God, if you have a 2000 AD or Crisis inspired costume, especially Crisis, please, please. 
come to Glasgow and show it off at the comic convention there, March 30th and, and April 1st. Come on, guys. We need to show out here. Ooh. Oh, man. The Prague ends, yeah, and the Prague ends with a, with a, uh, a crisis collection of new statesmen and, a, and an ad for Slain Volume 2 in, uh, in black and white and color, respectively. Looking And on the inside and outside cover, respectively. Yeah, definitely. Got Slain with that big spear and stuff mm. like that. That's awesome. Got to feed it blood. Woo! Prague 671, the new Harlem heroes. They don't play games and they come flying across in this Kev Walker cover. He All even right. gives Patrice pale white skin. Huzzah! Oh, um, man. In the nerve center, Tharg is stoked about Harlem heroes and armored Gideon. There's pictures of Sprog the Surfer, Bradley Surfer, mm. and Judge Chopper, which I liked a lot, actually. Um, oh, yeah. We. Readers continue to love Song of the Surfer, universal praise, including several poems. Hey, man. So, sometimes you just got to let your inner truth out through uh, through some sick rhymes. I've never done that, Fox. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> I refuse. Tharg has got that, as I think I've sung three songs in just this hey, non-thrills part this episode. Um, Tharg is quick to point out that Chopper might not actually be dead because he's aware that Chopper is going to be in the launch of the magazine in like four months. Um, oh, boy. Uh, Mid-prog, there's an ad for the Grant Morrison comic St. Swithin's Day and a mention of his extremely heavy Batman Arkham Asylum comic. Red. You also see there's a 2080 signing in Forbidden Planet Cardiff, if you're into some Welsh comic signing. And then there's a half-page ad for a Red Dwarf novel by Grant Naylor, which I've never read, but I'm a big Red Dwarf, Red Dwarf fan, as anybody who's listened to this show can tell from my constant references and stuff. <laughs> um, like when I say, uh, death's not the handicap it used to be in the olden days. That's just Red Dwarf, buddy. Oh, man. Um, <laughs> I think I've seen one Red Dwarf episode. It's, I mean... I don't know how it would hit in 2020 just because it's got such a crazy laugh track and stuff that I could see it being hard to hard to watch by a modern audience. Mm. But when I was a kid, oh, man, I was all over man, it. Man, if uh, – if, what is that stupid fucking nerd show? Um, uh, the IT crowd? That's got a laugh no, track too, yeah, I think. Yeah, that's got a laugh track. And then there's – Spaced? The, and then there's the Big Bang Theory. That's got a laugh track to it. If those can oh, exist. See, I was thinking of English shows. Oh, well, if those two shows can exist, you know, something better could definitely have a laugh track and exist. Fair. Oh, man. All right. Um, there's also a tiny image ad for the upcoming Universal Soldier story in 2018. No, thanks. I'm good. Yeah. Um, and the, the prog ends with more demands that people come and cosplay at the Glasgow Comic Con. Please. Please, man. <laughs> just whatever. Just bring a, bring a, a cowl and you're fine. Fine. Something. Make up a character. It doesn't matter. Please. <laughs> um, there's also the first of the Harlem Hero rap sheets. Sure. This one is for the character Silver Weir, who uh, fills two key team roles on the Har on the new Harlem Heroes, Fox, uh -huh. as both the explosive expert and the girl. <laughs> She's got extremely <laughs> 90s short silver hair, white face paint, she wears biker shorts with those checker marks on the side, mm -hmm. yellow bandana with the hero symbol. Yeah, she's got two guns, one for each of you. Oh, God. <laughs> it's, it's really stretching the tryhard section there stay tuned for upcoming profiles on the muscle the hacker the pilot and the leader okay oh. <laughs> the leader is a position huh of course it is uh which who's, one does machines i guess that's the hacker 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or the pilot. I mean, it's it's a it's a little bit less Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and a little more like Voltron. Is what uh, I want to yeah, say. There we go. Because Voltron's got like a hacker guy and a, and a tough guy and a leader guy, like the, you know the uh, the dude in the middle line in the black line in Voltron, mm-hmm. or the guy who wears red in Power Rangers. That's that kind of thing. That's you the know? leader. You know he's the leader because Tyrannosaurus. Yeah, and re- and red generally. That's just sort of the color coding of these things. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> anyway. Oof, a tufa. Speaking of things coming to an end, Fox, let's go to Thrill 5 Zippy Couriers. Man, I love this cat. <laughs> He's funny. Script about Hillary Robinson, art about Graham Higgins. Art about uh, Graham Higgins, letting her about Steve Potter. So last time we saw future courier Shauna McCulloch get taken in and treated harshly by the cops over a weird package. Butch the cat investigates the box but finds it to just be a plain old stuffed animal with a zipper mouth. What the hootin' heck? Yeah, back home, Shauna and Butch walk, watch the news and it seems a bunch of explosive devices were delivered to top politicians in the form of stuffed animals with zipper mouths that exploded when you unzipped them. And I guess it's like a quiet explosion because they're students against noise pollution. Yeah, Sand yeah, pit. all these yeah, all these politicians had spoken out against the suppression of extraneous noise bill in Parliament. And so the bombs were silent and harnessed, like you said, sent by these students against noise pollution in towns which, or sandpit group. Which, I mean, you get and, it because of the zipper mouth doll and, you know. And, I mean, we met – I should say we met this group in the uh, 89 sci-fi special mm. in, a, in a Zippy Courier story there. Where they were also like sort of leading a terrorist raid against a big loud club, basically. All right. Um, but so it's sort of not out of the place if you've read all of Zippy Couriers, but if you haven't, then they're sort of like whatever. Um, <laughs> they are still, at least in my opinion, whatever. Yeah, exactly. Later, a package is delivered at Sandpit HQ by a fr- by friend of the company, Genghis. They think it's their new leaflets, but it's actually a big exploding thing of sand. Uh, and it's all over the place. Oh, geez. That's so funny. They, they really Rough got these Rough and coarse. You're nothing like Sand Fox. Oh. Um, <laughs> oh, no. Genghis uh. flies off into the sunset doing loops over a bridge while eating spaghetti. And 2000 AD&D just invented the glitter bomb. Oh, man. Uh, those are really not... It's really obnoxious, those things. Yeah. Listen, sand's not much. Sand's basically the same, but it's less aesthetically pleasing. That is true. Not going to do the Anakin Skywalker quote again. I I already did it. (laughs) Butch gets gets another order and asks if Shauna will transport an animal. In this case, a six-inch iguana or something like that. Um, Shauna agrees and goes to pick it up. The animal's in a box, and the owner calls it Shelob, and it's got air holes and stuff. It's going to the zoo. All right. Seems like a normal thing to take a a box to the zoo. I guess. I mean, you got to move it somehow, I suppose. Yeah, that's true. Shauna sings the Irish ballad, As I Roved Out One Day, and flies when suddenly big hairy legs come out of the box's air holes. It's no good at all. Yeah, real gross. She freaks out and a traffic cop yells at her as Shauna tries to balance spider avoidance with with safe driving. <laughs> Man, her Back angry the, face when she gets there is so good. 
very pissed. Pretty good work by Graham Pagans here. I, I, you know, I like his artwork a lot. Actually, mm-hmm. it's very like you. You get a lot of character in all these in, in all these folks. Oh yeah, Sean, as you sort Sean of see them and stuff. It is funny though, just because like this is it feels like a very modern comic because the panels are gigantic all throughout this stuff. Oh like, yeah, given space for you, her to be awesome. Yeah, like a more traditional version of this of any Zippy Courier story could easily be two pages, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> but whatever. Um, yeah, but back at the office, Shauna's livid. That wasn't an iguana. I guess she should have known better at being named Shelob after all, which is, of course, the big spider in Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. Who's in the whatever in those uh in that in that shadow of the of war games also a sexy lady all right oh yeah um uh, that was but also a gross ass spider but also a big spider at the same time it's complicated uh, Butch goes to deal with a spider and eats the hell out of it listen Ugh. cats will kill big spiders that's part of that's part of the deal you know they are very delicious and they also squirm around so you know probably tasty yeah. And the end, and this is the final Zippy Couriers, Fox. What forever? Yep. Why? Um, you know, uh, well, I um, in about a, in, in a cup in an episode or two, um, Hillary Robinson's going to shift to doing um, sh- is is going to be doing um, both both a, a a new medevac story and a story called Chaos Carnival. So okay. she's sort of doing two more things. Okay. Um, but honestly, we're sort of counting down, counting down with uh, Hillary Robinson oh. here. Um, she she doesn't make it to Prague 700 in 2000 AD. So God damn. part of it is also just that um, the editorial staff aren't really a huge fan of her of hers, I think. Oh. And are trying to push her out and mess with her stuff, essentially. God damn patriarchy. Yeah, I mean, we'll talk more about it um, when we get that later medevac and, and Chaos Carnival as well. But yeah, this is sort of, you know, we're kind of in the in the sunset of Hillary Robinson. And, that, and, and that's a bummer because I think she writes some fun, yeah. light stuff that I think definitely has an important place in these comics. Yeah, because everything else is heavy as hell. Absolutely. Yeah, listen, you got to pick it up sometime. I mean, even even Zippy was heavy oh, last yeah. episode. That was, so. that was a change pace. <laughs> Yeah, it's bad all over, you know. But speaking of a single woman trying to make her way in the world, Fox. (laughs) And her potential (laughs) underwear choices, I guess. Ooh. Thrill 6, Anderson, Psy Division. Looking a little bony this time around. (laughs) Whoa, bony jabronis everywhere. (laughs) Script robot Alan Grant, art robot David Roach, letting about Steve Potter. An old man wakes up in the middle of the night and sees a crazy screaming skeleton next to him. Aye! Not great. The skeleton knows what he did and he must pay the price as it grows devil horns that turn into weird tendril things. Ugh. And maybe lightning? It's complicated. It's weird. But anyway, yeah. You know, it comes at him and the man screams no. And then his wife wakes up, but it seems everything's fine. It was just a nightmare. Come on. Ebenezer. Whoa, it's like that Christmas story. And they have a wreath above the bed, too, so they're really trying to, like, lay that one on thick. This does not come back. (laughs) Nah, don't worry about it. It's not really a Christmas story. It's just sort of... We're making jokes because it's an old rich guy being visited by a ghost, so, you know... You get it. Easy choice. Um, He is not calmed, though, and decides to go to work over his wife's protests, 
At the same time, our own Judge Cassandra Anderson is listening to the thoughts from all over the city, dispatching judges accordingly. Yeah, and is this this giant vat machine just a bunch of side judges and vats? It seems like it. Like, we've seen stuff like that in the past, I think, around side judge headquarters. Yeah. Like, they do have a little bit... That minority report of, thing going on. Yeah, Exactly, of that kind of like doing some pre-crime and other things like that just to kind of, uh, you know, get things going, basically. <laughs> um, she's listening, yeah, um, she gets a flash of a weird skull and a sledgehammer flying at a dude's face, Oof. but it's weird, so she decides to investigate it herself. Later, we see that dude that was getting face hammered, he's wearing this like <laughs> bodice, vest thing, polka dot shorts and knee pads, big dude. Big, uh, you know, floofy haircut. Hey, man, it's Calvin, Calvin King. Yeah. And he wants to know, are you a fun underwear person? <laughs> Fox. Fox. I yeah. demand to know, are you a fun underwear person? Yeah, man. I got one with, like, uh, fried eggs. I got one that's just slices of avocados. I like fun underwear. Funderwear, nice. as I, I like to call them. Excellent. I am not. <laughs> like... <laughs> Got boxer briefs and dark colors. Like the most, the funnest I get is I got some. I got some like uh, like a evergreen uh, uh, colored one. Otherwise, got to invest in uh, in a toucan cocksock, man. No, listen. Until <laughs> until we become a real podcast and me undies sponsors oh. us, I'm not <laughs> buying fancy underwear, Fox. <laughs> and that, even then, it's a trial at best. Yeah, listen, I'll give it a shot. I'm like, you know, I'll talk about it. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Fantastic. Me undies. Anyway. Come at us. Yeah. Something. I don't know. Whatever. Baby money. I'll take it. <laughs> fruit um, of the loom. We know you're out there. <laughs> ooh. You know, the cloth is the fruit of the loom, Fox. Exactly. <laughs> like, that's like a tree that grows it. I literally learned that when I was like 32 years old. I was like, whoa, that's right. It's not just a bunch of like grapes that are trying to sell me underwear. Of course. It's so true. Why is this apple trying to get me to wear its underwear? It doesn't make sense. Yeah. Anyhow, Ebenezer. All right. Name. We we made the connection. He walks into his underwear, into his uh, undertaker's office. He's not interested in fun underwear. <laughs> He is a he is also not a fan of when bodies are all rigor mortis into weird positions, and he's got to break their bones with a sledgehammer to get them to fit in the coffin. Got to do that whole uh, uh, God, what's that Stephen King movie? Misery, misery. Yeah, gotta 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 misery his legs back into shape. <laughs> write me the goddamn book, you son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah, make him make him write a post death romance novel. It's a complicated time. <laughs> also, Fox, listen, as a nerd, I must say that this whole situation makes no sense oh, based yeah. on what we've seen of both death and funeral arrangements in Mega City One. Oh yeah, you just right? recycle the hell out of them. Like this guy, if he's a body, he should be at a recycle, and if he's not, then he should just be skin that's being stretched over a mannequin by a licensed taxidermist. Oh, all right, this idea right. of a full-on corpse with like corpse problems being put into a coffin makes zero sense. No, nah, man, that should not exist. Mm-hmm. Anyway, as he's doing this, a skeleton appears and he freaks out. <laughs> Throws a sledgehammer. <laughs> throws, throws a sledgehammer at the skeleton. It continues to the window and smashes right into poor Calvin King's face, killing him. Right as he's asking old, uh, you know, Cassandra, like, hey, you fun underwear person? 
She is not, because you got to wear underwear for it to be fun, Fox. Wow. Whoa. The same. We think we've confirmed several times oh, that, yeah. that Anderson, not into that. Uh, anyway. Um, yeah, it goes into his face. Anderson pulls her gun. <laughs> That's no way to get new clients, Mr. Undertaker. Which... Man, always quick on the quips there, Cassandra. Rest in peace. The skull uh, <laughs> promises death to Ebenezer, and he's freaking out as Anderson kicks down the door and arrests him. He tries to explain about the screaming skull. It's here for his sins. What sins? Don't worry about it. But Anderson, practical, um, scans this dude's brain, and he relents. He explains that as an undertaker, the, his first body was a man crushed by a grand piano, but he wasn't quite <laughs> dead, so he killed him himself. Ooh, boy. This whole story is like a goddamn, like, 1850 episode of do- of, a, of a Scooby-Doo, Fox, because... <laughs> Like, even nowadays, this story would be impossible because they can bomb people, you know? Exactly. Like, no one's at an undertaker waking up in the coffin. No, man. Before you get to the coffin, you've already had all your blood removed and shit like that. Yeah, exactly. Especially, what, with all of the bandages wrapping around him so he's all mummy? It's like, what? Weird times. Um, But yes, we killed him himself, and that's haunted him all his life. Anderson checks around and heads to Ebenezer's apartment. And finds his wife, Floella. He's been arrested, and it's all because of that skeleton. Oh, boy. And then, even more like an 1850 Scooby-Doo story, um, Anderson just goes full on, explains the skeletons are holograms that Floella set up to get Ebenezer <laughs> to retire, or at least work less, basically. Hounding him into insanity in the hope that they'd go on a nice vacation or something. And she would have gotten away with it, too, if it weren't for those meddling sighs. Absolutely. She's arrested for conspiracy, and Anderson will see that they get adjoining cubes. Oh, look at that. Very nice. The end. Anderson will return for a solo adventure by the end of the year, but before that, she'll be involved with some Necropolis oh, business I mean, as well, I assure not, you. Right? Absolutely. Yeah, she's going to be gonna be back oh, for some Necropolis business. Beautiful. It'll be Conrad make a note to explain the pun later. Anyway, um, <laughs> speaking of things I'm not looking forward to, folks, oh God, let's get to it. Thrill Seven Bradley. <sighs> yep. Script robot Alan Muckens, art robot Simon von Harzine, letting robot Gort Ubenrichen. Fuck this shit. Um, Bradley, Milton, and Annabella are headed to see the band Nightser Ebb at a club called Subterranea. They're a, a EBM group, Fox. That's electronic body music, according to Wikipedia. Okay. Um, I will. I listen to some of their songs. I will tell you that they don't sound nearly as hard as this comic makes them out to, just okay. for the record. Like, not quite to that level, but I did end up with a very uh, Grateful Dead vibe, Fox. Okay. Where... When I was a kid, I di- I I hadn't listened to any Grateful Dead. I just saw a lot of their like uh, T-shirts and imagery and things. Yep. And when I heard Box of Rain, I was like, "This is a band that <laughs> primarily has skull imagery." Okay. <laughs> Very skeptical eight-year-old. Oh, <laughs> it definitely has its crowd, my dude. 
Oh yeah, no. For I'm just saying, there's a lot of skulls and lightning bolts for how the Grateful Dead sounds. Oh, I'm, that's what I'm trying to say. Very there with you, man. It is a mismatch uh, that I do not fully comprehend. <laughs> Anyway, as angry letters come in, let's continue on with this. They're, they're around the entrance of the club, there's some spitting image heads of various politicians, including a specific burn on George, uh, George H.W. Bush. Yeah. But he's just George W. Bush in 1990. That's a weird kind of thing. Uh, yeah. um, anyway, the band starts playing. I, I like the art here, actually. Simon Harrison does a pretty good job. Yeah. Um, there's some cool stuff that kind of makes it feel like a club, like this alternating light where one panel's really blue and one panel's really red. Mm-hmm. Like there's lighting in the club that might be like synced to the beat of the band that's playing and stuff. Exactly. Um, I couldn't find this song they're singing on the internet, but that's whatever. It's fine. Yep. Um. Everybody's getting down, and then the uh, Sprogs decide to just, you know, grab some marbles, dump them on the dance floor, causing chaos and violence. Great. A little bit of mixed media as we see. There's a cutout of Jason Donovan in here again. Um, They look upon their carnage and call it good, and Knights of Ribs, they're like, oh, you uh, Bradley and Milton, you guys are pretty cool, dudes. Uh, Okay. And this, like... uh, like the story last time, this feels like just like or all these stories, actually, you know, it's very much Simon Harrison sort of making fun of bands he thinks are stupid and then imagining being friends with bands that he likes. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or that's what it seems like to me. It's cute, I guess. You know, it's fine. <laughs> fine. Bradley will Bradley will be back in Prague 682 in July of this year. OK, well. Anyway, far enough. Uh, continuing stories I'm less than enthused about, Fox. Oh, yeah. Thrill 8, Harlem Heroes. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, as I... Oh, sorry, please go. <laughs> no, 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 you go. I was going to say, please. you know, the, the one thing that I think of when I think of Harlem Heroes is um, cut to a deep mining operation. <laughs> Oh, you don't think of sci-fi prisons and terrorist groups, Fox? Oh, you no. think of Harlem Heroes? I don't think I do, strangely <laughs> enough. I think that's a little weird. Call me old-fashioned. I literally will because you're stuck in the 70s, bro. Oh, man. Um, <laughs> script robot Michael Fleischer, art robot Steve Dillon, letting robot Bambo Georgiou. Harlem Heroes reboot! Just, I hate this! Just put my brain in a jar. <laughs> <laughs> They've taken an, a moderately interesting future sports tale and turned it into a story about generic, edgy sci-fi terrorists. Oh, no. Um, really? And, oh, yeah. And surely its greatest sin, Fox, is that it goes on <laughs> to... <laughs> really? We talked about this a little earlier, but yeah, like at this point, 2000 AD editorial has this policy where they can basically just buy scripts without really having a hard limit on it. And this author, Michael Fleischer, um, who I should say is is an American writer, mostly um, known for his work on the comic book The Spectre and for unsuccessfully suing sci-fi writer Harlan Ellison for calling him insane. (laughs) God, what? Okay. Like there was a big interview, and Allison like said, that Fleischer guy. He's a he's a cra- he's crazy, a real nut nutcase man. That guy is totally insane. <laughs> like she's like, you can't just like go in comics journals and say that I'm like impossible to work I mean, with because I'm crazy. You you can I say sue that. you. Yeah, but he, he said, no, you can't. So I sue you, and then the court was like, nah, it's fine. Case dismissed. <laughs> yeah, pretty um, much. Um, 
Anyway, but so from my understanding is that he basically just kept sending in scripts and they kept buying them. Um, okay. Well. So um, also for some for some Rogue Trooper Friday stories and this thing called Junker we'll see at the end of the year. So we're basically going to be seeing this new Harlem Heroes formulation until 1995. Okay. <laughs> well, that sounds that really it, exciting. Yeah, it is nice to see Steve Dillon back in the prog, mm-hmm. especially with Kev Walker on ink. Like the art here is is is, is great. I'm down with that. But I'm down on Harlem Heroes. Don't like this. Gonna get a lot of it, though. Good times. <laughs> All right. So one thing that's kind of weird, Fox, is that this story starts in black – is is in black and white. But it's in the opening pages of the prog, which have been in color since the reboot. And it seems like it could be in color because the logo is blue. But yeah. everything else is just regular black and white. This, honestly, is seems to be throwing off the balance of, of thrills. <laughs> In the in the Brock. It truly is making itself known. Yeah. So anyway, at a SPC 14, the infamous subterranean penal colony in the year 2109, people mine and work until they die. And here's another thing, Fox, all right? Listen. Okay. Harlem Heroes famously is part of the Judge Dredd timeline, right? Yep. Like not not incidentally, but the son of the main character of the Harlem Heroes, uh, John Giant Clay, his son is <laughs> was one of Dredd's main partners, played a key role in both the Judge Cow and Mega Epic and Block Mania in the lead up to um, Armageddon. And at the re and like literally like twelve progs ago, that character's son, Cadet Giant, had an extended storyline. Yeah, All pretty right? red. Love that guy. So this story, Har- this Harlem Heroes, <laughs> referenced the original Harlem Heroes, but is it set in two oh nine, which is just literally two years ago in the world of Judge Dredd? Uh, I'm guessing. The answer is no, Fox. No, it is not. <laughs> so it is just a different. Harlem Heroes in a different universe altogether. It is Kawinky Dink, as it were. <sighs> so there's no escapes from this prison fight. <laughs> <laughs> Both for us and the comic book. We see a trio of prisoners take out some robot guards and try to escape a mine car. They're making fun of a couple other pro of other cons, like see ya heroes okay. as they go. They escape and make a break for it, but are pursued by robot guard dogs. Man. Then jump into one of those cars that's got a big drill on the front, like in a Total Recall. <laughs> Don't they know <laughs> never be the guys at the start of the story that aren't the main characters? Oh, it's hard to judge that, Fox. You know, it's hard to know whether you're at the start of someone else's story or if you're in the middle of your own story. Yeah, but you they know? don't have like a cool team name. No, that's a that's a fair point. It reminds me of that of that movie, uh, Twenty Four Hour Party People, which is about a guy who was a music producer in the English uh, club scene in the eighties. Okay, and there's a point in the movie where he literally says, "Like it's kind of rough, kind of realizing that you're a minor character in your own story." Oh my <laughs> like, <laughs> wow, fuck! You know, good good self knowledge, I guess. But anyway, oof. These guys get on this drill car and head out. As in the control room of the prison, the mustachioed and visor-eyed warden I mean, arrives in the control room. Just the guy trying to look like the coolest fucker and just get – it's the handlebar mustache and the visor is just the most horrible. And then leather jacket. And the, 
Yeah, he's so nineteen ninety. Like it's like trying to be cool sci-fi guy. Listen again, <laughs> Fox. Yes. I've met Evil Warden, Evil Warden worldwide. Oh yeah, you know he's amazing. I I hung out when he was hiding inside the giant mainframe computer <laughs> of the High Rock, calling people, shooting at people, and calling them fuckers <laughs> yes. while they were trying to take down the, while Harry Twenty and his buddies were trying to take him down. I mean, his name was Warden Worldwise. Like, how are you even going to top that? And this guy is no evil warden worldwide. No, he's just a guy who's like, just put bombs on all the things. For the record, he, Warden Worldwide didn't call those guys fuckers. That was Fox telling, saying, <laughs> voicing him Listen. in our recap, which is one of my one of my favorite things that's ever happened on our show. <laughs> but he did ice him. Oh, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Drill car was booby trapped. He gives them a personal message before blowing them up, and it's all. And uh, then we see all five of the Harlem heroes bantering as they go to an Ugh. assembly area where the warden addresses them, shows video of the car blowing up, and reminds them no escaping. Come on. He even, you know, has a megaphone to make sure that you in the back, you can hear me, right? Luckily, the heroes have their own plans to escape, and they've definitely, like, they're going to make it. But it seems like the warden seems to be aware of this. Yeah, of their plan. Because yeah, he's got like a, a camera with a microphone in it <laughs> next to a. He's vent. got like yeah, he's got stuff. So anyway, I uh, we're just starting out here. <laughs> er, extremely early days for Harlem Heroes reboot. We'll learn more about the team as we go. For the record, I've got a lot more things to complain about as we head into this. <laughs> Good. Like, Definitely getting into much more conventional podcast tone as we talk about reboot of Harlem Heroes. I mean, why would you even try to reboot something that was like it was already fine? Just do that again. Where I'm just where I'm just down on everything and pointing out plot holes you know, why, like a real jerk. Why, you know, again, Worldwise shows up on a giant fucking view screen and is like, "I'm more than Worldwise and fuck you." And this guy like goes out on a stage and with a fucking megaphone just. You know it's all just so that everybody can see his visor. Need a better class of villain, Fox. I know. It's it's like those, what are they called? Viewfinders? The little fucking things where you kind of clip through <laughs> a circle of, of tiny think, images. Th- yeah, th- 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 that's a view master, view I think. Master, but yeah. excuse me. Same same difference, you know. Just whatever. glued that into his face. Yeah. It's got a disc and kind of 3D things going yeah, on. You know. Absolutely. Anyway, speaking of stories I'm much more, or on the... T- on the other hand, stories I'm more interested and excited about, Fox. Oh, yeah. Let's do that. Let's go to Thrill 9, Armored Gideon. Man, this comic has things to say. <laughs> yeah, listen. Script about John Tomlinson, art about Simon Jacob, let it go about Steve Potter. As much as I hate Harlem Heroes, I love Armored Gideon, Fox. Oh my God, I'm glad annihilate. these two are stable mates. Yeah. Annihilate. It's got a sort of a... It's sort of a cross between Dalek and maybe some other stuff, I think. It's beautiful. Like Dalek and like Master Controller or whatever from uh, Tron. Um, oh, man. Just but like anyway. Everything about this robot is a good look. Definitely. So John Tomlinson's written a few things before here, and he's currently the 2080 Annuals editor, though eventually he'll move up the food chain as time goes by and he'll be Tharg for a while soon enough. Um We'll also remember Simon Jacob from doing a bunch of uh, Tales of the Doghouse. He drew, like, uh, the yeah, May yeah. of the Many Arms story, for instance. Yeah, I love the faces in this. Definitely. So, Frank White's 
is a ex-combat photographer, and as we start this story, he's tagging along with some terrorists from the Crimson Jihad. I guess as you have do. Kidna- yeah, kidnapped Ambassador Harbinger to- and have taken him hostage. This feels like a very 1990 kind of terrorism, mm. I must say, Fox. Why is that? Where like – well, I guess I don't know. I feel like there's a period in the '80s and '90s when terrorists could be kind of like cool Euro trash, and they had <laughs> like we sort of knew them by their cool by these cool like English English names or something like uh, the Shining Path or something yeah, like and that. Yeah, you kidnap a guy and then you're on TV for a bit. Yeah, it'd be much more about like kidnapping and making statements and stuff, you know, like they'd like they'd hijack a plane and fly it to Cuba or something. Mm-hmm. And they seem more like they were a threat, but it was more sort of a novelty kind of threat, I guess. <laughs> well, they didn't explode a bunch of people, right? Yeah, exactly. It was just a – there's a different tone to it, I suppose, than we have in a post-9-11 world oh, is what yeah. I'm trying to say. Um, I don't know. I just – sorry. I just think of like uh, like a long – like a while ago, I, I saw this movie uh, Nighthawks with Sylvester Stallone and in that, uh, uh, Rutger Howard is this classy Euro trash terrorist. You know, so we had a guy – you know, there could <laughs> be somebody whose name, whose name was the Jackal. And he just kind of <laughs> went around and did terrorism things but it wasn't like, oh, yeah, like he's against our we freedom. We got to make a statement and potentially have it be just all a ruse so that we can steal all the money in this giant vault. Love these false flags. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The kind of terrorism that the guys in Die Hard mm-hmm. are pretending to do, you know? Exactly. <laughs> it's false, false flag, etc. Um, so anyway, fuck. Oh, that's a big aside. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but usual terrorist stuff here. A wall collapses and a giant robot walks in screaming annihilate. Hey, man, sometimes you, sometimes you just got a Kool-Aid through a wall. Oh, yeah. Annihilate. Whoa, Frank snaps some pictures of this, and then the ambassador turns into this kind of <laughs> demon dragon thing? I mean, that's the thing that, I mean, like you were saying, it's like the, the stuff that we missed from way back, uh, you know, in the 80s and 90s. Definitely. Um, it goes to attack the robot when a tube snakes out of the robot's <laughs> chest. <water. laughs> And it sprays holy water at this ambassador, turning just into a big splorch of blood on the floor. It's oh, real good. Then the robot jumps back through a portal and the SWAT team shows up. I mean, pretty rad. Once you get rid of one, the rest is all easy. <laughs> pretty rad. Like, this whole thing is just a pretty crazy, yeah, awesome opening of things. Like, what? What just happened? Fuck yeah, dude. Get a sweet picture of the, like, crazy place that he jumped through to. It's fucking Yeah, great. yeah, Frank. Yeah, he develops the photos of all this, including um, the gateway the robot uses, which has a very uh, Sigourney Weaver's fridge and Ghostbusters, oh, I yeah, think. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Frank tries to sell these pictures, these photos to a J. Jonah Jameson type at the Daily Clarion, who's named I mean, Benson. She is just screaming, get me those goddamn no good Spider-Man pictures, you son of a bitch, Peter Parker. <laughs> she- She's not interested in these demon and robot ones, though. No, no way. way she man. thinks she thinks he's just faking them all and stuff. Like, get out of here. He storms out, walks to the park, wondering what he's going to do when a giant metallic hand reaches out of a square gateway and pulls him into a crazy <laughs> world full of lightning and demons. Let's go! Oh man, let's go, Ghostbusters! Let's go. Next time, war on the focal plane. Hey, focal plane. Uh, you know, great place to take a holiday. 
Yeah, definitely. Folk all, not folk us. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Looking Very good, man. St- I'm into yeah, I'm into v- robots and demons and portals. Me me too. Very stoked for Armored Gideon. Like I honestly, this does a very good job of something that's that we've had stumbled with in 2018 in the past, which is this way where you start a story by just having a bunch of crazy shit happen all at once and not really explaining it. <laughs> yeah, but this one just like, happens to be full of like sweet ass robots. Well, because everything's so over the top and 100 percent ridiculous, oh, I feel like. I'm more willing to go along with it than other things that I've that I've read in this page of 2018. I mean, if that so makes sense. down. I, I'm there with you, buddy. This looks like, awesome, and, and I think I and I do really appreciate the, uh, Frank White's as this audience insert character to sort of be be confused along with us because that goes a long way. As opposed to maybe someone like the Indi- Indigo Prime stuff we've seen, for instance, where oh, yeah. everybody everybody knows what's going on, and they're like, you know, and so our job is to try to catch up, basically. Which, that's all a different right, buddy. Tone. Yeah, I don't want to play catch exactly. up. Exactly. Yeah, no, we've we've talked about this in the past. Um, yeah, but super excited. All right, next up. Oh boy, Thrill Ten Future Shocks. Oh, these are future shocks, indeed. Hmm. So, uh, first story, thanks for the memories. Script robot Nicholas Barber, art robot Massimo Bellardinelli, letting robot Bambo Giorgio. Yay, Massimo. Exactly. A man sleeps in his bed and wakes up in a lab. His dad is actually a scientist trying to create a cool robot with fake memories and stuff. He's Blade Runnering disguise memories. <laughs> and he's really underscoring, I am not your dad. Do not call me your dad. No, that's gross. You're just a robot. Can't stress it enough, <laughs> will, bot dude. Will not get emotionally attached to you, my man. No way. I'm about to turn you off, man. Um, yeah, the, the 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 man is not happy about being a one-hour um, old robot with memories of a full life. And even less pleased to learn that he's going to be switched off and disassembled for parts. Oh, boy. Not great. Why did he even go to all the effort to make him look the way he does if he's just going to destroy him? Well, because they kind of want to get to the point where, like, all right, like, you know, this prototype is successful. Here's a dude who looks human and has memories and stuff. Mm. We wake him up to make sure it's all good. Seems pretty good. All right, let's start making the next model, you know? Jesus. It's hard out there in uh, robot development. I, I guess think we all so. know that. I mean, clearly. Got to kill your darlings or something. <laughs> Don't call um, me dad. Mm. To make it up to him, though, the doctor then – uh, programs a successful and happy life for the robot, lets it run for a few minutes, then turns it off. You still got the low score, boy, you loser! Bam, bam, bam. See, I never go back to the carpet store. <laughs> this guy did go back, that's what I'm trying to say. Oof. <laughs> Took Roy off the grid! <laughs> so, it's so good. Classic. Uh. Next story, Guilt. Uh, art, uh, script, uh, script robot John Tomlinson, art robot Paul Marshall, letting robot Tom Frame. I'm just going to go forward and say it. I don't get it. Nope. Um, so I, but I, I just want to say, I think between Armored Gideon and Harlem Heroes being in here, it seems like the balance between black and white and color comics has been thrown off a little bit. Oh in my God. It's a fucking color future shot. <laughs> Because there should, there's, it's a rare situation that we get a full color future shock when there are black and white pages existing in the comic box. Such a bad choice. Even nowadays, future shocks are often black and white. Like, just for one reason or another, I guess. But so, okay, here we go. (laughs) 
A man knocks on a woman's door and begs for help. Just don't get put on any tea or coffee. He's Reg, Reginald Mole, husband. He lived a normal life. Then one day on the tube, he couldn't buy a ticket and was braced by the conductor. Then things get weird. He's taken to a judge and sentenced to summary execution, but he escaped. Went to his friend Sharon's house. She chews up coffee to brew it. A Russian sub surfaces outside her building and he runs. Heads to the wilderness where he's assaulted by like weird cartoon dancing tomatoes and then yeah. giant crying ears of corn being sent to the sent to their death by Nazis, like a mass regicide. I don't know, man. Then a secret agent swings in the window with a box of chocolates, and the lady he's telling this to offers to wash his clothes with glupo, and when he refuses, um, she kills him by burning his face off with an iron and then vac- vacuums up his ashy corpse while singing a jingle. Okay. Okay. I didn't do research on this, Fox. I should have. I mean, my should un- you have? From, from, what I can, from what I've been able to put together from context clues. This story is just referencing a bunch of uh, TV ads that were popular at the time that this prog came out. Sure. I mean, but why? I guess. I guess it's kind of a joke. I mean, if you kind of had a bunch like, you know, if you kind of know a bunch of popular ads and you kind of sort of uh, put them in all at once, like it would be, I don't know, like, I guess it would be funny if you kind of took things serious, if you took ads seriously and then like, you know, some guy was getting angry at you for having ring around the collar and the Energizer bunny was... Bopping his way through, <laughs> and like I don't know, you got one or two like real violent commercials that also show up in here or something like that. <sighs> but this is what this is what more than a lot of things we've seen. This one really requires to be living and watching television in England in the year 1990. Yep, don't <laughs> get <know>? it. <laughs> so as it is, it's just extremely. Um, like surreal and incomprehensible. It truly is. I no no better words to put that. Fuck. <laughs> and speaking of things that are surreal and incomprehensible, Fox. Oh my god. I must know what your choices for top and bottom thrills are oh. for this month, February nineteen ninety. That's a, such a fucking burn, Fox. Oh my Listen, god, my dude. I feel I, bad. I'm I, sorry. No, no. <laughs> that caught me so off guard. I'm like, how can I? How can I then make this surreal? Do I just say that Harlem Heroes was top, um, and and then just start explaining uh, the plot to another fucking comic? <laughs> Oh, oh my God, Fox! I just I want to say as we're talking about this, I just realized that I gave the wrong progs and dates for this episode at the start of the show. Oh so I'm gonna, we're going to re-record this at the end of the episode. Cheesy piece. So get get stoked. Oh, <laughs> look at God damn it! <laughs> anyway, top and bottom thrills. I must know. I mean, it's it's fairly easy. I'll give my shout outs right now. Big Spartan ended funny. Uh, you know, always good to see Cassandra. Um, uh, excited for for uh, Armored Gideon. Um, man, oh man. Uh, so tops, 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 tops. So this is rough because I am very much enjoying um, Rogue Trooper. But given the context that I now in- continually get, like this really sucks that it's not, you know, it's not going to continue next Prague. Um, it is beautiful. It is great. It is not my top. Um, Zenith. Fucking ending. Really great. Um, really hilarious how he comes out and he's just like, fuck this. Uh, but once again, <laughs> truly pales in comparison to the only and true top that I have, which is uh, the Judge Dread. 
I mean, it was fantastic, man, and beautiful. Oh yeah, color. and uh, really glad to see Carlos Escare back because that that makes me happy, man. I, I just I love the way that that he does himself a dread. Um, so yeah, I'm pretty stoked on that for bottom. Uh, I'm not going to pick the things I like. Uh, I'm not going to pick Zippy Courier because that's really f- bummer that she's not coming back. But I am going to pick Bradley because I'm scaping out on this one. Fuck Bradley. Don't like Bradley. Everything else was fine. <laughs> Fair enough. So, Conrad, tell me why you <laughs> – what are your top and bottom thrills and tell me why you absolutely agree. <laughs> not going to agree with you, buddy. Bottom Harlem heroes. Oh, that's shit. true. <laughs> Forever. <laughs> I guess I just haven't seen enough of it. It's just like so forgettable. Like I forgot hope about every, it. I hope every other thrill is breathing a sigh of relief as I downshift <laughs> to prepare to give Harlem Heroes bottom for the next six months, Fox. I'm real ready for it. Extremely ready for it. Um, wow. <laughs> Top, I think I'll agree with you though with Judge Dredd. Absolutely, you know, there's some. I really like. Um, I really like Dredd. Like again, we just more of this of this emotion with Dredd mm-hmm. um, um, quitting and then freeing the, the the democracy protesters. I really like t- uh, tying all those things yeah. in. Um, I really like um, Kraken both sacrificing himself and then the feeling of elation he has when he becomes Dredd and yeah, stuff. Yeah, that was really. Uh- Real interesting how he just uh, very comfortably just wore that mantle because who gives a shit? Absolutely. Yeah. And I just – I'm so stoked to see where this goes. Something I want us to kind of keep an eye on, Fox, mm-hmm. and think about is basically Dread has re- – you know, like Kraken isn't really an influence on Dread quitting, right? Right. Like he's quit because – he is dissatisfied with how the Justice Department works and how it relates to the citizens of Mega City One and stuff like that. You know the the, the letter from Will from from William Wenders, all that stuff. So, you know, it's going to be interesting to see. You know, presumably Dredd's on his way back. You know, he's going to help with the, whatever whatever the dark judges are planning in Necropolis and stuff. Mm. But. If he does end up somehow becoming a judge again, how those – how these feelings that are driving him now, like how those change in the course of this coming story and stuff. I don't really have an answer for it, but it's something I want to keep an eye on. Okay. Basically. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I just figured it would come to a head and they'd have like a dread, dread fight. That is my that is well, yeah. my, that is my guess. Well, sure. But I'm just saying – like, like, listen, I, I'm not spoiling you to say that there's going to – that like the Necropolis story will end and there will be sort of a, a, a semi-return to normal with Judge Dredd as a judge in Mega City 1, right? Mm-hmm. Just because it's it's doing that – it's continuing to do that now 30 years later. Um, but just like – I don't know. I want to keep an eye out like for if they resolve this crisis of conscience – that dread has um yeah of course like with I, go, you know if if he if this version if this dread character like ends up still being a judge and you know enforcing the law and stuff growing in a in a way or if he kind of just falls back into old habits you mean does does this actually keep on uh yeah keep with the character yeah i'm interested to yeah, see where well, that goes what do they do with that? I'm not promising there's going to be a resolution. I'm just saying that it's something that, you know, I don't know. Keep it's an eye on out. my mental on my mental whiteboard just to kind of like like be looking at things. Cool. Yeah, I'm excited. Yeah. See, I said Dread and Harlem Heroes. Okay, cool. Okay, yeah, here we go. 
I hope everybody enjoyed the show. As always, you can find Space Spinner 2000 on iTunes, Stitch at the Google Play Store, Spotify, or our podcast site at spacespinner2000.com. Feel free to contact us at spacespinner2000 at gmail.com on the 2080 forums or on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages. On Twitter, we're at spacespinner2k for everything else like with spacespinner2000, and we should be there. And come back next time as we get to know both Armored Gideon and the new Harlem Heroes – the Universal Soldier returns and will start the cyberpunk thriller Shadows. Ooh. And at long last, Necropolis begins. Oh, uh, hell yeah. I'm into that. Definitely getting all uh, deadly in here. <laughs> Until then, I'm Conrad East Fox, and we are Space Spinner 2000. Splunding Jam, nitty gritty, you're listening to the boy from the big bad city. This is Jam High.